Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Do you love the Word of God? It's good. Amen. It's good. It's good to be back. Philippians, the second chapter. The second chapter of the book of Philippians. I just want to point out one verse, first of all, and we're going to go from there. We're going to go as the Spirit of God directs us to go. And I won't mind if He wants to take a side journey here or there. Will you? It doesn't bother me in the least. All I'm concerned about is getting the truth of God's Word and walking in it and living in it. In the book of Philippians, the second chapter, let's take a look at verse 12. Second chapter of the book of Philippians, we'll look at verse 12 first of all. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And you will perfect that which concerneth us. And this word will produce life, light, and love in the hearts of those that have ears to hear. I thank you, dear Father God, for receptive ears. I thank you, dear Father God, for receptive hearts to receive the word of truth. It will bring illumination to our minds, direction to our spirits. And the greater one within, for the greater one is within us, shall give us anointing, shall give us unction in the Holy Spirit, shall cause the word to go forth and to be planted in the hearts of those that believe and cause them to walk in victory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. He said, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. Work it out yourself. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let's just take a look, first of all, at the word salvation. That scripture used to bother me when I first got saved. When I was young in the Lord. Now I said, now how are you going to work out your own salvation? There's only salvation one way through Jesus Christ. But the word here, salvation, is an all-inclusive word. And it means deliverance, salvation, preservation, wholeness. In other words, he's saying freedom from bondage. Work out. He's not talking about salvation as being saved from going to hell and having eternal life. He's talking about us working out our own soundless deliverance and preservation from the bondages of sin that Satan would come against us with. Work out your own salvation. Work out your own preservation. Work out your own deliverance. Work out the own life that you want, your own life that you want to live. In Jesus Christ. And I found out that this is very true in the life of the believer. We've got to work out our own salvation. I've been to too many places and I've heard too many people say too many different things. 
about the Word of God that I just don't care to hear. And I have found out that if we're going to live our life the way the Word of God wants us to live our life, we're going to have to work out our own salvation ourselves by the power of the Holy Spirit of God that's in us through the Word of God. And you don't have the power to make somebody else live the life that you live. I'm not going to make you live a life that I live. I'm just going to tell you about the life that I live, and if you have any sense, you're going to come in and join me. <laughs> Glory to God! I, I just, just, just this week, just yesterday, I went up, up to the visit in the hospital. And I was up there visiting my father-in-law. And uh, he, they were running some tests on him, and he was out. And, of course, I heard somebody playing a guitar, and, and uh, it caught my interest. My wife heard it, and we both heard it. And so I walked over to the, to the uh, around the corner where that room was, and I saw this fellow sitting in his bed playing the guitar. And the fellow next to him had a Bible open up in his hand. And so, you know, that doesn't, you don't have to have too much leeway for me to get in there. So I just walked right on in. <laughs> so I just, just, you know, just walked right on in. And I said, what do you got there? He said, the Bible. I said, what are you reading? Hebrews, the 10th chapter, reading about faith. I said, what do you know about faith? He said, well, I'm just a young Christian, just four months old. The Lord said, you know, I, I, I just starting to read a little bit about faith. And I says, well, praise God. And uh, we began to talk about the Word of God. We began to talk about faith. When all of a sudden... Uh, 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 another fellow walks in, and I didn't know this, but it was uh, his minister. And, of course, nothing stops me from preaching, because once I get, to, you know, get started, I just continue right on. So, uh, we just met and introduced ourselves, and I just couldn't help stop from what I was talking about in the Word of God, talking about faith. And, of course, I didn't know the, the circumstances around this, this boy's life, and I found out that he had a, some kind of a huge tumor, and he, he wasn't there expected to die. And uh, in his chest, see? Causing all this great pain. And we start talking about faith and about the Word of God and, and uh, sharing with Him about the wonderful, miraculous things God has done in our lives and will do in your life if you believe and receive. And so we just gave a quick lesson on faith. And then His minister is sitting there, and I just admired Him so much because He said, Well, praise God. He said, He says, We just heard a wonderful lesson on faith. He says, Why don't you have uh, the brother pray and we'll believe God together? I'll tell you what, I said, praise God. See, I heard some things, you know, you hear some things that you don't jump on right away. I heard one of them say, well, maybe God's using me just to, just to win somebody to Christ because I'm being sick. And, you know, they start talking that kind of talk, and I began to sit back and realize, I said, now, Father, I haven't heard that in such a long, such a long time. I've never heard anybody say that. I just never, I thought nobody believed that anymore. But I found out they didn't come to Middle Christian Assembly, you know, and... Uh, I just found out that people still think that way. They really think that way. And so it takes a little bit more time to expound on the Word of God. To show, and we just began to go over some scriptures. I said, now, dear brother, do you know Matthew 8, 17 says he took your infirmities, bore your sicknesses? He said, no, I never saw that before. I said, well, read it from your Bible. And it said, himself took my infirmities, bore my sicknesses. He says, well, then if Jesus took them, I don't have to take it, do I? I said, you're getting the picture. And then I said, let's look at 1 Peter 2.24. With his tribes, you were healed. And he started saying, well, bless God. He started to see it. He said, I start to see it now. He says, I'm just supposed to believe that Jesus took it from me and I don't have to have it no more. I said, now you're getting to the point. And so I began to see that we've got to work out our own salvation. To finish it off, we prayed, and I believe God, and he believes God, and he believes he receives his healing. I believe he received his healing. He believes he receives his healing. 
But you see, if he was just left off to be just where he was, he thought that he had to die for die just because God wanted him to die, I guess. He said, I didn't know. He didn't know any better. And I just lifted up my hands and praised God. I said, oh, dear Father God, am I glad that I've learned from the Word of God what your will is in our lives. Am I glad that I can go and give somebody good news? What's good news? You don't have to die is the good news to the person that's on their deathbed. What's the good news? The good news is you don't have to be poor to those that are poor. You could be wealthy in Jesus. He'll provide your every need. That's the good news of the gospel to those that are lost eternally, that they can have eternal life. Amen. Amen. But he said over here, he said, work out your own salvation. And then he didn't stop right there. He said, work it out with fear. And with trembling. And I began to just study that and meditate on that just for a little bit. Look at the words there. Verse 12 again. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The word fear is from the Greek word phobos, P-H-O-B-O-S. And it means reverential fear of God as a controlling motive of the life. I'll say that again. A reverential fear of God as a controlling motive of our life, both spiritually and morally. Reverential fear of God as the controlling motive of our life. The way we live spiritually and the way we live morally and it says, with fear and with trembling. The word trembling, when you combine these, when they're associated together, when you put these two words together, it has a stronger meaning. It has a, a sterner meaning to the word. It, it means like with holy terror. Holy terror. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling or with holy terror. You see, that sounds like something I didn't hear before. Well, let's go to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. We're going to get back to this in a minute. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. I want to give you an example of holy terror. My eyes began to open up. And I'll share some of these things later on. You probably want to know about camp meeting, but, you know, you're just going to have to wait. <laughs> Hallelujah <laughs> Jesus. Amen. Okay, I'll give you one remark, if I may. <laughs> One remark, if I may. I'll never have to travel a thousand miles again to get to where the Spirit of God is. Because there's a body of believers with the 200 people right here that has the glory of God just like 10,000. Blessed be God. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. We've got the same Jesus right here. And if I go any further, we'll get a little caught up in being proud here, so we won't do it. Hallelujah. Jesus. I mean as a body. Praise God. Well, where are we at? Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Let's start with verse 12. I'm going to read this to you. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, and let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. 
Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. For you're not coming to the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor under blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not, should not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with an ark. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. The word fear and tremble has the same connotation here. To quake. Trembling means to quake or to quake with fear. And it says here that it was so terrible, the sight of it was so terrible that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. It was a holy fear, a reverential fear that came through the five physical sense realm when they saw the fire, they saw the mountain, they saw the black, they saw the smoke, they saw all that power that God was displaying before them, and if anything touched the mountain, it was consumed. They saw it before their eyes, and it caused a reverential fear to be put into the hearts of those that would receive it. Moses says, I exceedingly feared and quaked. Well, let's go on. But we have not come to that mountain, friends. It says, You are coming to Mount Sion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and into, to a numeral company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Now look at verse 25 on. See that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refuse him that spake on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more shake, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, or let us hold fast to the grace of God, whereby we may serve God acceptably, acceptably with reverence, with reverence and godly fear. With reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. We didn't come to the mountain. We didn't come to the fire that we saw on that mountain. He said we had better listen to what he's saying to us. because, And we better reverence him with godly fear. Because our God, the God that we serve... No, we didn't come to that mountain. We didn't come to that new, that old covenant. We didn't come to the law and the Ten Commandments. We came to the church of the living Christ. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Father of spirits. We've come to an innumerable company of angels. We have come, you and I have come to this almighty God who is a consuming fire. Now, reverential fear came through the five physical sense realm when they saw the smoke and they saw the fire and they saw the mountain and they, Moses exceedingly quaked and feared. 
But the God that we serve is the very consuming fire. And there is no manifest, outward manifestation that you're going to be able to see to cause that fear to come upon you. You say, well, then where does that godly fear come from? He told us to work out our own salvation with fear and with trembling. Or to, to quake with fear, reverential fear of God, the Almighty God. For He is Almighty and He is a consuming fire. It comes through His Word. And there's a lot of people, beloved, today that are not serving the Lord their God. And if they, if they were under the old covenant, if they were under the old law, they would have been consumed by that fire a long time ago. They would have been judged. You know the Bible says God, God is a God of judgment also. He said, Woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you teach them to pay tithe of anise and cumin and, and mint. He says, But you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Our God is a God of faith, our God is a God of mercy, and our God is a God of judgment. And that's why he said, Work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. He said, What are you getting at? I'll show you something that should cause reverential fear to come rise up within your heart. Go to Acts 5. This was an outward manifestation maybe to the early church, but it certainly wasn't, it is not to us. We only read about it, and it better affect your spirit. If it doesn't affect your spirit, there's something wrong, I think, with your walk with God. In the fifth chapter of the book of Acts, we begin reading with verse 1. You read right on through. I'm not going to take time because I want to get through some of this. Let's just pick it up at verse 10. You know the story. If not, read it for yourself. It's Ananias and Sapphira. They held back part of the money that they were supposed to give for the sale of their property. They held it back from the Lord. They didn't give it to Peter when they came. And they, they went there and pretended as though they, they had given all the money. Uh, Ananias fell over dead because of judgment. You go over here to verse 10. Then fell she down. This is his wife, Sapphira. She fell down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead. And carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. Look at verse 11. And great fear came upon all the church. Well, that's not the fear that the devil brings. That's not talking about God has not given us the spirit of fear. What kind of fear came upon the church? This reverential, godly fear. Fear of the Almighty God. Of displeasing Him. Fear of not letting that, that life that's in us control us. Fear of not being motivated by the, by the Word of God, by the love of God towards our fellow man. They were all fearful because they saw them fall over dead right in their very presence. Now, that was an outward manifestation of the judgment of God. They were judged. Now, when we were at camp meeting, it's a shame to say we had to go this far just to, to, to pick this up, to get something like this. But, you know, sometimes you, you, you're thinking you're going there to get just edified and on fire for God and just, just, just flowing over with, with the Word of God, the Spirit of God. And... Uh, on the last night of the services, Brother Hagin was ministering. And uh, he began to tell. He be, first of all, he began to minister on the anointing and bring forth the word of wisdom concerning ministers and those that are called of God. And ministers' wives and how they have their part to play in fulfilling the ministry that God has called them to. And he began to speak... The word of the Lord. He said, The word of the Lord come unto me, saying. And he began to admonish the ministers to, to put God first in their life. He began to admonish them to walk the walk, live the life, 
fulfill the calling, enter into the phases of, of ministry that God has called them to. He says the Lord told him that many had died young. First of all, because many were not fulfilling their calling. And number two, because many were trying to be in a ministry that were not called into the ministry. Are you hearing me? Many were dying young because they weren't called into the ministry. But yet they thought they were and they were in the ministry and they died young because of it. Well, he went on to say, as the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, he said, The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before the year 1981, is over. A loved one in the family of a minister would die. And I just sat there and I heard these words come forth. And he said, Before the year is out, this loved one in your family will die. But he did not call out to who it was. And he says, They'll die and not live. Because judgment must first take place in the house of God. So rejoice now when it happens, knowing that the fruit of your ministry, because of your obedience now, the fruit of your ministry shall increase. But beloved, listen to me. I sat there and I thought, I said, now Lord, that's not what you want. But then he went on to say, he said, the last time the Spirit of God came on me this way, I remember, was way back and he gave a testimony about the time that a person was in a congregation began to mock the Spirit of God as the, as the Spirit of God worked through his ministry. And this went on and went on. And because of his mocking the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he began to minister and he said, the Spirit of the Lord has told me to tell you you have one chance to come to the altar and repent. Because you're mocking the things of the Spirit of God. Come and repent. And the fellow did not come and repent. And then judgment was pronounced. The word of the Lord came unto him again saying, Three o'clock Saturday afternoon, because you did not repent, because you would not yield to the Spirit of God, you'll fall over dead on your front porch. And you live within a stone's throw distance from the church. And the week went by, and on that Saturday afternoon at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the man walked up on his porch and fell over dead. He says, that same anointing has come upon me this night. And there's one here in the congregation whose loved one will die because of judgment. He have not fulfilled what God has called him to do in the ministry. Beloved, I want to say something to you. We have a responsibility as children of God to work out our own salvation with fear and with trembling because our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a God of mercy. Our God is a God of faith. But He's also a God of judgment. He's a God of judgment. Now what brought it upon, upon this person? Disobedience. Disobedience to what God has called him to do. And that's not only talking about in the ministry. That's talking about our everyday walk with Him. Now, there are some of us that have maybe been called to the ministry and we've never answered that call. It's never too late. Only when judgment is pronounced is it too late. He said over here, great fear came upon all the church. And upon as many as heard these things, 
And when Brother Hagin came forth with that word, you, you, you're there and it's the last night of camp meeting and you think, glory be to God, this is going to be it. And the word of the Lord came and brought this forth. There was a hush. And a great fear came upon all the church. And I could just see everybody looking around and they'd begin to say, who is it? Me? Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? What have I done? Is it me? Is it me? And the word of the Lord came unto them again saying, don't be concerned about it. Just begin to walk the walk and live the life. And when it happens, you'll rejoice. Beloved, I don't want to see my life, I don't want to see your life go to a, the, the place, come to the place that judgment is going to be pronounced on our lives for disobedience to what God has called us to do. Amen. We're told to work out our own salvation with fear and with trembling. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. The 7th chapter. Now notice in, in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, he said, We have received a kingdom. The kingdom of God is within us. And because we have received this kingdom of God within us, we are to make sure that we respect God and we have this holy fear or reverential fear of God because our God is a consuming fire. Your life is not your own. Let's go, let's go to 2 Corinthians 7 chapter. Let's take a look at a portion of Scripture here. Verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in what? In the fear of God. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Well, he says, having therefore, having therefore, having therefore these precious promises. Go back to a, a couple of verses. He says, look, look at verse, well, let's look at verse 16 in chapter 6. What agreement has the temple of God? You've received a kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has come unto you. The kingdom of God is at work within you. And because He is within you, what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will walk in them, I will dwell in them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And because you have these precious promises, that the Almighty God, the consuming fire, the God of all glory, the Al Shaddai, He, the Almighty God, the I Am, the Great I Am, is living inside of you personally. Then we have got to perfect holiness in the fear of God. And beloved, we've got to walk in that holiness. And we've got to perfect that holiness in our lives. The God that we serve, the God of all glory, is at work within us. Go back to our text, Philippians, the second chapter. He tells you why you're to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling in the next verse. In the second, uh, second chapter, verse, look at verse 12 again, then we'll go to verse 13. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, always obeyed, always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you. Because God is at work within you. 
both to will and to do of His good pleasure through you. Because God is at work within you to do His will and to do His good pleasure in and through you. Work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling, allowing yourself to perfect holiness in the fear of God because you've come to the Almighty God who is a consuming fire and wants to live His life big through you. And if you don't allow Him to live His life big through you, you're rebelling against the work of God in your own life. And when you rebel against the work of God in your own life, and this is for every level of Christian development and growth. I don't care if you're just born again or growing up maturing in the things of God. If you're not allowing God to work and to do His good will and pleasure through you, you're rebelling against Him and one day you will be judged. God is not mocked whatsoever. A man soweth the same does that man also reap. If we sow obedience, we'll reap righteousness. If we sow disobedience, we'll reap judgment. Ananias and Sapphira reap that judgment. And beloved, you didn't come to that mountain that was on fire. We have come to the Almighty God, the consuming fire. Fear not those that can destroy the outward man. Don't think about that. People have more fear of other men. They have more fear. The devil can't destroy your spirit. You're born again, spirit-filled, living for God, and people got fear of the devil. They got fear of sickness and disease. They got fear of this. They've got fear of that. But they have no reverential fear of the Almighty God to control and motivate them to live a perfect, holy life before Him. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. I want to show you some things here that spoke to my heart. And I want to show you some things that Paul said. We're going to go continue in this Philippians, the second chapter. I want to show you some more things that Paul said concerning this. And I want to show you how many, not how many, I want to show you how few of people, not only in this day, but also in the day that Paul was writing this letter, I want to show you how only a few people purpose in their heart to walk this walk and to live this life of holiness. As a matter of fact, Paul says, I don't have anybody that's like-minded to do it. Except Timothy. I'll show you where he said that in a minute. He says, I don't have hardly I don't have anybody to send to you. I wish I could send somebody, but all I got, I got Timothy. He's the only one that's like-minded, like me. Letting the same mind that's in Christ to be in him. In 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, moreover, verse 1, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Note this carefully. All of them were under the cloud. All of them passed through the sea. All were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat? For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples 
to the intent we should not lust after evil things. I want to, I want to emphasize the fact that they all came out by, from Egypt. I want to emphasize the fact that they all drank of that same rock, which was Christ. They all ate the same spiritual meat. They all were delivered. But God was not pleased with all of them. Was He? And we know it takes faith to please God. He wasn't pleased with all of them. These are our examples. That we should not be as they were in verse 7. Neither be idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell on one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for in samples or examples and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. He's not writing to the old covenant people now. He's writing to us. I could say this. We've all been born again. We've all been filled with the Spirit. We've all eaten of that same spiritual manna. The Word of God. But with all of them, God was not well pleased. Some of them fell back to perdition. Some of them made shipwreck of the faith. Some of them were judged and fell over dead. He was not pleased with all of them. Why? Because when you leave it up to an individual to work out their own salvation, most of them are too lazy to do it. Most people want a minister... Most people want an evangelist. Most people want somebody else to come along and to get their healing for them. Somebody wants someone else to come along and prophesy, did God call me or did not? God call me not. Some, they always want somebody else to do something for them. And so they're tossed to and fro like the wave of the sea. And before you know it, they get off into this air, they get off into that air, they get off into this tangent, they get off into that tangent. You've got some believing this, you've got some believing that. You got, And before you know it, Christ is divided. Everybody's confused. And people are not doing what God's called them to do. Some people that are in the ministry never should be in the ministry in the first place. Beloved, I'll tell you something right now. You wouldn't see me up behind this pulpit if I wasn't called of God. This is the last place anybody should want to be. You think that's, you think I'm, I'm, I'm very serious. If you're not called of God, this is the last place you should want to be. Because, beloved, the Bible says, Be not many masters, knowing that they shall receive the greater condemnation. You use your words to speak forth life and people are going to hear those words and they're going to act on those words and if they have any trust in the person that's bringing forth them words, they may just take it and run with it and not even read the Bible for themselves. Why do you think the church got all messed up in the first place? Well, now, brother so-and-so said such and such and that's why I'm doing it. Well, brother so-and-so misquoted the Bible. Beloved, you have nobody to blame but yourself for lack of spiritual guidance and strength if you're not working out your own salvation through God's Word. We've all been born again. We've all been dealt the measure of faith. 
We all have that measure of faith. Faith come up by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. We all have the same Jesus Christ, the same Jehovah Jireh, the same Jehovah Rapha. We've got the same Al Shaddai, the Almighty God. We all can receive everything that He said. He's not a respecter of any person. And everything He has provided, He's provided for you. He's provided for me. And ministers are not extra special people. On the contrary, to whom much is given, much is required. Now listen. We are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. You know, that motivated me early in my Christian walk. You know, I feared. I had a reverential fear of God, of displeasing Him, and of doing things that I, that I thought was, was contrary to His Word. I got off into the area of healing. I mean to tell you something right now. I would not... I would not, sub and I don't say this to put anybody in an area of condemnation. I, I, I don't, if, if it does, I apologize right now before I even do it. I don't want that to happen. I feared God so much that I wouldn't take medicine. If it was sitting right there, my Bible was sitting right there, I looked at both of them and I said, Dear God, dear God, I said, No. I didn't have anybody to tell me any different. I didn't have anybody to say anything to me. I just knew I had to work out my own salvation with fear and trouble. And I feared God more than I feared anything else. And I said, dear God, Jesus died for my sickness and for my diseases. I refuse to submit, my, submit myself anything lower than His Word. And that's how I started my life. When I knew God told me to do something, I was ministering one day. Uh, not ministering, I was just invited. I was invited to go to... A, 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 a Christian supper club. This was a grand opening of a Christian supper club. And there I was. I went and I was sitting in the congregation and there must have been a thousand people there. And I was just, I was just there. I figured, well, praise God, I'll just come and see what this is all about and praise God and have a good time and just worship the Lord. We began to worship the Lord, began to pray in spirit and just worship, have a good time. And then we, we began to just minister towards the end of it and just minister unto the Lord and the Spirit of the Lord came upon me. And I'll tell you what. When you're by yourself, I mean, there's a thousand, you don't know anybody that you're, there's a thousand people there. Spirit of the Lord came upon me and, and spoke and said to me, go up. And this was the person that had started this thing. This is the person that got everything all together and said, go up and lay your hands upon her and speak the word of the Lord. <laughs> me? You. Did you ever get in an argument with God? <laughs> you know, you figure if you ignore it, it might go away. <laughs> you know, you just, so I just stood there and I just, you know, worshiping God and praising the Lord. <sighs> I couldn't worship. I couldn't praise Him. Oh, I tried to. <laughs> but, you know, it was as phony as could be. Sometimes it's so strong that you just think, if you don't do it, you know you're going to be disobedient to God. You just know it. So you just close your eyes and walk on up in front of all them people. And I did. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon me. And I delivered the message that, that the Lord had me to give. And she received. The Spirit of the Lord came upon her. And they received that message of God. But friends, had I not done that, my reverential fear of God was greater than being put to shame in the flesh. I mean, I would never come and stand behind 
to talk to people out there. I would, I wouldn't even, when I was in school, I wouldn't even give a message. I wouldn't even give a report if I had a paper in my hand and I'd stand there shaking like this here. I mean, you, you couldn't hear me to speak because the paper was crumbling so loud. And I couldn't, you know, and then, and then of course I wouldn't look at you. I'd put that thing up to my face like that there. And I'd have to have it written out word for word. And, and, and I'd just be shaking just like that. I just, I couldn't do it. But when I got saved, and he said to go speak unto my people and to go teach them my word, I said, well, glory be to God. I mean, when God's got a hold of you and calls you and anoints you to do something, you're not going to have to figure it out. He's going to work it out for you. All you've got to do is yield to him and just to be obedient to his voice and do what he tells you to do. Now, see, maybe some of you wasn't called to go and preach and to teach. But that does not mean that you're not called to be an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. You have still got to be obedient to work out your own salvation. We're only here to help. We're only here. You see, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the comforter, the standby, the helper. But we were put in office for what purpose? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Just to be uh, people that are separated for God, just to give forth the revelation that He has for us and to help us grow. And we've got to be obedient to do exactly what He says to do. But that does not mean that me as a minister, anybody else who's called to the ministry, has any more authority in heaven. I've got no more authority than you have, and you've got the same authority I have, and Jesus has it all, and He gave it all to you and me. And with that same authority, you could reach heaven as fast as anybody here on this earth. Amen. You've got to be obedient to do what God's called us to do. We've all been born again. We've all been baptized We've all been baptized in water. We've all been filled with the Spirit. We've all been called to be ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've all been called to fulfill the ministry of reconciliation. We've all been called to perfect holiness in reverential fear of our God and to work out our own salvation with this fear and trembling. Because we've not come to this mountain, Mount Sinai. We've come to Mount Zion, the city of God. To the Almighty God, the Al Shaddai, the consuming fire. And He is at work within you. Go back. Now, notice it said right here in the 11th verse, or 10th verse, neither murmur as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now, now catch a hold of that and go to back to our text, Philippians, the second chapter. They were examples. Don't murmur as they murmured. They all start out the same way. Judgment will take place, first of all, in the house of God. We're the house of God. Let's look at this second chapter again. Verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Do all things without what? Without what? And without complaining, without murmuring. I'm going to read that to you from the Amplified Bible. I think it gives us a little bit more. Uh, Do nothing from factional motives, through contentiousness, through strife, through selfishness, for unworthy ends, or prompted by conceit and empty arrogance. Instead, in the true spirit of humility. In the true spirit of humility. Loneliness of mind, let each esteem or regard others as better than superior themselves, thinking more highly of one another than you do of yourselves. That's verse 3. I'm sorry. I want to get verse 12. 
Therefore, my dear ones, as you have always obeyed my suggestions, I'm starting with verse 12, I'm going to read right through 14. Always obeyed my suggestions, so now not only with enthusiasm, which you would show in my presence, but much more because I'm absent, work out, cultivate, carry out to the goal, and fully complete your own salvation with reverence and awe and trembling, self-distrust, that is, with serious caution, tenderness of conscience, watchfulness against temptation, timidly shrinking from whatever might offend God and discredit the name of Christ. Not in your own strength, for it is God who is at work, who, who in all the while is effectually at work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and the desire, both to will and to work for His good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. Do all things without grumbling and fault-finding and complaining. Do all things without grumbling, fault-finding and complaining against God and questioning and doubting among yourselves. In First Peter, the fourth chapter... Verse, verses 17 through 19. Write this down. 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, verses 17 through 19. Let's read these together. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. As unto a faithful Creator. Judgment is going is beginning. Judgment will begin first where? In the house of God. You have the responsibility, as I have the responsibility, of working out our own salvation with fear and trembling of God. We have the responsibility to do all that He said to do and allow Him to work in and through us His own good pleasure and His own will. And we have the responsibility to do it without murmuring, without complaining, as they did in the wilderness... Because we've all come from the same place. We've all been delivered. We've all been born again. We've all been spiritual. We've all been set free. We've all been free from sickness and disease. We've all been free from satanic oppression. We've all been free from the authority of darkness and from the power of darkness. We are going to be judged, beloved, as to just exactly what we have done with our deliverance. Judgment is taking place in the house of God. It has taken place. It will take place. And it's going to take place as long as we're, the church is in this earth. This minister that Brother Hagin spoke of concerning will lose a loved one in his family because of not judging himself and not being obedient to what God's priorities were in his life. Judgment has already taken place and it cannot be changed. You say, how long does that take? I don't know. In some cases, I heard someone say between five and seven years, one woman was delivered from a sickness in her body, set free from it. And within a period of five to seven years, that person never studied the Word of God to find out how they received their deliverance. 
And after that period of time, that person was judged. Sickness and disease came back on that person and they died and could not be healed and would not be healed. There are many men that have been called of God to do what God has called them to do in the ministry that have never answered that call. And they're not going to live the fullness of their days on this earth. He went on to give more information about certain things like this here that I'm not going to give you all right now. There's some things that, that, that I learned that I'm just astounded. I'm amazed at. But God wants us to be obedient to all that He's called us to do. And because of what we're talking about, because of what we're seeing in the Word, we're going to start from the very beginning. I believe before we left, the Lord moved upon us to move into the area of God's priorities of life. We backed up to number two, but I think we're going to back up to number one starting Sunday morning. We're going to start with our relationship with the Father God so that we'll not be judged in the area of not doing what God has called us to do as individual believers in the body of Christ. Go back to Philippians, the second chapter. We'll close it out here. I want you to write this down. The first thing that you need to know in the area of working out your own salvation with fear and trembling is number one, you must be obedient. You must be obedient. Obedient to what God tells you to do through His Word. You must be obedient. You, as an individual, as an individual, I don't care if every born-again Christian spirit-filled, tongue-talking, divine healing, preaching Christian around you is not walking the walk that the Word tells them to walk. If they're not watching their words, if they're not walking in love, if they chose not to walk in love, if they're not watching their appetites of the flesh, if they're not doing the things that the Word says to do, I don't care how many of them around you are not doing it, God is looking at you. I don't, beloved, I don't care if nobody on this earth chooses to walk the walk of perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I don't care if anybody on God's green earth is not watching their words and speaking wholesome words of life. In Ecclesiastes, the fifth chapter, we're told, Fear thou God and watch every word you speak and let those words be few. We're told to do that. I don't care if nobody on this earth wants to walk in love. I'm doing it. I have made the quality decision in my life to walk according to God's word. And, I'm not, and I'll tell you why. Because I don't want my children to die. I don't want to lose my wife. Someone asked me, about walking in love and letting, how come you let people walk all over you? I says, I don't want my kids to get sick. I mean that. I don't want my kids to get sick. I don't want my children to die. I don't want them to have calamity in their life. So I choose to walk in love. Oh, many times it looks like you're being walked all over, but it doesn't matter to me. Look at the second chapter. I want, I want to get this, I want to read it from the Amplified also. I'm going to follow me in this second chapter and, uh, Let's look at verse 1. I'm going to read some verses from the Amplified. I'm going to read some from the King James. He's telling us, if there be any consolation in Christ, if there be any comfort of love, any fellowship of, mercy, fellowship of the Spirit, any bowels of mercies, 
Fulfill my joy that you be like-minded. I don't like that word like-minded. Having the same love. Underline that phrase. Like-minded, the same love. Being of one accord and of one mind. Underline these, these phrases here. Fulfill my, my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in loneliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Verse 3. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay, that's the mind he's talking about. Now he goes on to explain the mind of Christ. Who being in the form of God, thought it not Robert to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the death of the cross. I'm going to read that from the Amplified. Do nothing from factional motives through contentiousness, strife or selfishness or of unworthy ends or prompted by conceit or empty arrogance. Instead, in the true spirit of humility, lowliness of mind, the true spirit of humility... Let each regard the other better than himself or superior to himself, thinking more highly of the other one than you do of yourself. Let each of you esteem and look upon and be concerned for not merely his own interests, but also for each other's interests. Let the same attitude and purpose and humble mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. Let him be your example in humility. And then he goes on to say, He was in the form of God. And thought it not Robert to be equal with God. And he goes on, verse 7, But stripped himself of all privileges and rightful dignity, so as to assume the guise of a servant or a slave, in that he became like men and was born a human being. And after that he appeared in human form, he abased and humbled himself still further, and carried his obedience to the extreme of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God stooped, at, because he stooped so low, God highly exalted him and freely bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That in this name every knee should bow of things, being in heaven, earth, under the earth. Now look at the next verse. Wherefore, verse 12. Wherefore, because Jesus emptied himself, stripped himself, of all the rightful dignity that he had with the Father. Because Jesus was obedient as far... Not only obedient to do what God said to do and told him that he had to do, but he went as far as to the place where he could have been disobedient to the death of the cross. He said, Father, if there's any way, remove this thing from me. But he went as far as he stooped so low as to go to the lowest pit. Because he did that for you and for me. God exalted him and gave him that name as above every other name. Wherefore, my beloved... Because of this, let every one of you have the same mind that Christ had. Look at men the same way he looked at men. And work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Don't do anything with murmuring and complaining. Don't act that way. But he said, hold forth the word of life in verse 16. Now go on up to verse 20. And let's read this together. For I have no man like-minded. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. When I read that portion of Scripture, the Spirit of God quickened it inside my spirit, and I just about sat there and cried. I said, Dear God, 
He has no man like-minded. There is not a man that he knew of. He said, but I'll send you Timothy. Timothy had that same mind. Let's read the next verse. But you know the proof of him. I'm sorry. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Jesus Christ. But you know the proof of him that as a son with the Father, he has served with me in the gospel. He's talking about Timothy. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. He stood there, he wrote, and he said, My beloved brethren, I don't have any man that's like-minded. I believe we can stand before the entire body of Christ and we could probably count on our hands how many men are like-minded that are willing to go to the end with God, that are willing to walk the walk that he's talking about, that are willing to count all they have but dung, as Paul said, for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, to be obedient to the high calling, to walk in the love of God, to be like-minded in the things of God, to work out His salvation with fear and trembling, to do that all that God has called Him to do, even though they know that Jesus did all that for them. I have no man like-minded to care for your state. But Paul says, I hope I'll be able to come to you and share these things with you because I have the same mind of Christ. Friends, it's a sad thing for somebody who's writing the New Testament to say, I have no man. I have no man like-minded. You think that's changed? You think that's changed down on through the years? We're living in a generation, beloved, that people are now just beginning to realize and beginning to see what Jesus Christ has done for them. We are living in a generation that we're beginning this, that people are, their eyes are being opened to the fact that He died and went to the lowest pits of hell and burned and suffered there for them so that they can have eternal life. We're beginning to live where we can begin to see that all that this man did for us, all that he was stripped from, all the things that Jesus had to go through for you and me, people are starting, it's starting to pierce people's hearts. They're beginning to put on the mind of Christ. They're beginning to see that all that the Father had to give up to send Jesus. And they're not letting these little things stand in their way like strife and envy and division inside the body of Christ. They're not trying to see who's the better preacher, who they, who they can go down here, Paulus and Paul and Cephas and so on and so forth. Or, or Hagen and Copeland and Price and this one and that one. They're not trying to find all this. They're forgetting all this. Their mind is concentrating on one thing. Putting on the mind of Christ. Working out their own salvation. Working out your own salvation. Working it out by the Spirit of God for yourself. Your own salvation with the fear and trembling of the Almighty God. And knowing that our God is a consuming fire and He's also a God of judgment. And I don't care if nobody wants to walk in the love of God. I'm going to let it, the love of God drip off me where you can just, just see it fall right off of me. I'm going to have the same mind of Christ and keep that mind of Christ on me. And here's step number one. I'm going to finish it off right there. Third chapter. That's it. Close it out. Third chapter. I want to read this to you. If I, I, I don't have time to get into it like I want to, but this will be our first step. What was our first priority in life? Our relationship with the Father God. Okay, our relationship really with the, with the Godhead. The Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? Look at what Paul said here from verse 8. Let's start with verse 8 in the third chapter. 
You can follow me along in the King James. I want to read, read it to you from the Amplified. And after... I'm sorry. Eight verse. Yet, furthermore, I count everything as loss compared to the possession of the priceless privilege, the overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and of progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with Him, of perceiving and recognizing and understanding Him more fully and clearly. For His sake I have lost everything and consider it all to be mere rubbish, refuse, dregs, or which, which is the last, the last remaining part, in order that I may win or gain Christ the Anointed One, and that I may actually be found and known as in Him, not having any self-achieved righteousness, that can be called my own based on my own obedience to the law's demands. Ritualistic uprightness and supposed right standing with God thus acquired. But possessing the genuine righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the anointed one, the truly right standing with God which comes from God by saving faith. For I, my determined purpose is, for my determined purpose is that I may know Him that I may know progressively, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with Him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of His person more strongly and more clearly, and that I may in the same way come to know the power outflowing from His resurrection, which it exerts over believers, and that I may so share His sufferings, and so be continually transformed in spirit into His likeness, even to His death in hope. Now listen, that if possible, I may attain to the spiritual and moral resurrection that lifts me out from among the dead, even while in my body. That I may attain, if possible, the spiritual and the moral resurrection while I'm living in this body. Not that I have attained already. Or I'm already made perfect, but I press to lay hold, to grasp and make my own that for which Christ Jesus the Messiah has laid hold of me and made me his own. I do not consider, brethren, that I have captured and made it my own yet. But one thing I do, it is my aspiration. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the supreme and heavenly prize to which God in Christ Jesus is calling us upward. So let those of us who are spiritually mature and full grown have this mind, have this mind, and hold these convictions. And if any respect you and have a different attitude of mind, God will make that clear to you also. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.